0: This is the Bartender Journey Podcast.
1: It's the Bartender Journey Podcast, number 185. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. Well, this week we're going to talk with Isaac Grillo. He owns a bar with his wife in Miami called Repor, and he also works with Afrohead Rum. Going to chat about bartending and taste some rum. I'll get into a cocktail of the week during the interview, but let's do a book of the week first, and it's called A Short Course in Rum, A Guide to Tasting and Talking About Rum. So since we're talking about rum this week, why not We'll do a book about rum too? The uh, the book talks about the history of rum, some recommendations on delicious sipping rums, and, which is something I've been into the last couple of weeks, and uh, some rum cocktails too. So it's a great book. If you go over to bartenderjourney.net and find the posting that goes along with this show, number one. 185. You'll find a link to that book, and that's uh, what we call an affiliate link. It brings you over to Amazon. Doesn't cost you any any extra, but uh, it helps out the show just a little bit. So uh, we appreciate that. Even if you go over to BartenderJourney.net and click that link and buy something else at Amazon besides that book, that book, uh, or buy that book and some, plus something else, you can uh, you'll be helping out the show a little bit. So if you click through to Amazon through through BartenderJourney.net, uh, it helps out the show just a little bit. We'd Appreciate it. And speaking of rum, next week on this show, rum expert tiki expert and owner of the bar named The Best American Cocktail Bar this year at the Spirited Awards during Tales of the Cocktail. It's Martin Kate, and I'm so excited for this interview. His bar is called Smuggler's Cove, and uh, he wrote an awesome book by the same name. And So that's next week on the show, and I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you are too. And I hope you're subscribed to the show so that you get the shows downloaded to your phone as soon as they become available. Uh, if you have any questions on how to do that, you can go to bartenderjourney.net slash subscribe and uh, there's ways to do it uh on on ios with your iphone there's ways to do it on uh on your am- on your uh, what do you call it <laughs> android <laughs> i'm such an apple person it's ridiculous um and uh you can uh sign up for our email list there as well i send out very few emails to the list in fact Zero to date, but uh, one of these days. So uh, you can do all that on bartenderdrink.net slash subscribe. Let's talk to Isaac. All right. Well, great. Thanks for uh, coming on the show today.
0: Yeah, of course. Happy to be
1: here. Well, uh, you're brand ambassador at Everhead Rum, and uh, you own your own bar in Miami, I see. That is correct. Well, tell me about your bar.
0: So we're just like, uh, it's right in the heart of South Beach, but it's a real local family vibe. It's kind of got a, it uh, feels like you're in a home. So people liken it to like that '70s show basement. So it feels <laughs> nothing like uh, South Beach, but we just make everything from scratch and really good ingredients and everything homemade and good spirits.
1: Nice, that's great. And you opened the bar with your wife, huh? Brave man.
0: Yep, my wife and I opened it about I guess sixteen, seventeen months ago.
1: Congratulations, that's great. And you're in a uh, you're in a hotel, huh?
0: Correct. So it's kind of been interesting, you know, being in the lobby of a hotel. Um, but I have my business partner is the owner of the hotel, so he gave he had a little face in me, and we just kind of ran with it.
1: Wow, that's cool. That's got to be a little uh, a little bit of a leg up, I guess, to to, uh, to have that hotel business kind of built in. Anyway, right?
0: Yeah, it was a catch twenty two. It's a smaller hotel, but it uh, has a lot of history. It's a boutique hotel, and um, they you know they wanted to improve what they had to offer their guests. And in turn, so for a while, they didn't really have, they weren't known for that. They didn't really have a beverage program there that was very successful. So people had to go other places. So it took a while to get the hotel guests back in, but um, they're starting to stay stick around now.
1: Oh, cool, cool. And, um, yeah, I'm looking at your cocktail menu here. It's just great, great stuff on here.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, we try and change it, you know, definitely seasonally. We've changed it about every two months, actually.
1: Wow, um, the, the whole menu? Every,
0: every, yeah, the whole menu. It's kind of cool, though, because uh, if if you see it, it's broken down into, like, parts of the house. Right. So drinks that you would find, drink on the porch, like champagne cocktails and beers, light shandies and stuff. You know, you come from there, come from the porch, while if you're in the pantry, you're getting, like, candy bars and, you know, cereals and all that kind of stuff. But all the bartenders have their own cocktails, so everybody comes up with two or three drinks on their own and then we all taste them, and we plug them into categories and brands that we want. So everybody, the cocktail menus have ownership, and then I don't have to do all the work.
1: Right. It is a lot of work doing a cocktail menu, or even even just coming up with one brand new cocktail. It, you know, it's work. Yeah. It takes some time.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of work. and there's A lot of, you know, we make all those syrups and weird purees and stuff from scratch. So, uh, But, you know, the end result really shines through, so I'm proud of my team and proud of what we've accomplished so far.
1: That's great. How big a team do you have?
0: I have 10 10, uh, employees, 11 employees, actually. Not too big, but, you know, not super small either. We don't really have a lot of turnover, so.
1: Oh, that's good. Well, yeah, I was trying. You know, I've been entering a lot of these cocktail competitions lately. And you know, last night at at, at my bar, I was trying to come up with something new, and I just never came up with something I thought was worth entering into a contest. So uh, I'm kind of going to start over on that one.
0: (laughs) Have Have you entered competitions before?
1: Yeah, I've done. uh, Yeah, I've done a few of them. Yeah.
0: Oh, good. Yeah, I think it's important. Um, I used to compete a lot. I rarely do now, but um, all my bartenders, I encourage them to compete. So. Um, we've won a couple for the house over the past year and a half, so we've a couple trophies up in the
1: bar. Nice, nice. Yeah, it is is a good thing. I mean, it really gets your uh, creative juices flowing, I guess, right?
0: Yeah, correct. And, you know, it helps to have people around you. You know, I competed a lot for many, many years where now we kind of support each other. You know, you run through each other's strengths and how you come across when you're speaking. You know, and you can have somebody that can kind of help you say, you know, this is what the judges are looking for, or, you know, you have to clean up this, and, you know, the drink is off balance. You have to have people that are honest with you, but also can help you get to the next level, you know. And that that really helps you uh, get a leg up, I think, on your opponent. opponent.
1: Yeah, there is uh, a lot, there's strategy involved in these things as well, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's become, and as the competitions grow, I mean, Gajio World Class just had its global finals here in Miami. Yeah,
1: that's right,
0: yeah. I don't know if, did you ever get a chance to see any of that, or...
1: I read a little bit about it. I didn't see any video or anything, but I know a female won for the first time.
0: Yeah, first time, a a girl from Paris. I watched a few of her presentations. You know, they have all different categories, and she really just crushed it. But it goes to show you like, how much prep time, and to get to that level, it's... I mean, it takes a lot out of them, so... I mean, granted the reward is amazing. <laughs> it's yeah. Pretty much set for, for life but um you it really takes a lot of work to get there and they have so much training and you know, so it, even in the smaller competitions which are starting to have a lot, you know, more competitors and a lot more um you know, it's a harder competition nowadays. A lot of people are involved and people are coming up with new and creative things, so it's tough. But it's really fun to see how the the cocktail is evolving, especially in the United States.
1: Yeah, it is. And, uh, yeah, you know, you, you mentioned uh, what the judges are looking for, and, and you have to kind of unearth that because you, you really have to figure out what the motivation is and what and what they're looking for, whether it's, you know, some are looking for something crazy and outrageous and really, really unique, and others are looking for, you know, a drink that could be made in any bar in the world.
0: Yep, exactly. And you have to know which competition is looking for what that is, and something can be as creative as you want. Some you have to be able to be creative and it makes it more difficult in a simple way. And, um, you know, that's like Bacardi is, their competition is kind of like that. They wanted something, um, that they can duplicate all around the world, right. but it still has to be extremely creative and, and making that, you know, is way more, for me, that's way more difficult than coming up with something way off the wall and just, you know, going for it. Totally, totally. Well, well, well my style always was, but, it was. Diageo was very interesting to see, and it was great for the community. And I think that a lot of Miami bartenders got inspired by, you know, like they're like, "Oh shit, you know, this is what." Oh, I don't know if I can say that, but that's uh, this is where we. This is where we could get to, you know. And I thought it was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it is inspiring. Yeah. Uh, well, you you brought up the name, so that that is the one I was working on last night, and I was like, I am not stepping out from behind this bar. I gotta I use only stuff that's behind this bar. I'm not going to the kitchen.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and it's kind of cool, and it's fun to even even internally at the bar, you know sometimes we have competitions like, all right, let's see what you got buddy you know um you know just random things, and just to see who can make the best cocktail on the fly, you know just test your your metal at the moment, so <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I went and looked uh looked up the recipe for the previous year, uh, winner, and and uh, I was like, this recipe sounds crazy, it's weird, and uh, I tried to make it, and it, it didn't come out that great, and I, I had the manager taste it, he was like, you must have made it wrong, man, because <laughs> this sucks. Was it the
0: Japanese recipe? Or? No, it
1: was the one with the olive brine, and the it was wine, olive brine, Bacardi, and lemon juice. <laughs> yeah, i was trying to think, so. yeah,
0: some of them are really weird, and it's it's kind of odd, uh, I took the last competition I did was Bacardi, was Bacardi, that was but it was a few years ago. And I took third in the United States. Wow. And some of the cocktails some of them you think it's so simple. Bacardi is all about like the showmanship, it's selling yourself and you have to have this business plan of how you can duplicate this cocktail all over, you know, the United States or around the world or whatever. Yeah. So it's it's not as like I don't know, it's weird. The cocktail is kind of almost secondary mm-hmm. where but it's still just as important. It's all about, you know, the showmanship and how you carry yourself behind the bar, how you can talk about a brand. Um, you know, and theirs is a big ambassador job for them. Yeah. So, um, uh, I don't know, it's just weird, uh, how, the con- how different the competitions are, and yet they're both ginormous competition
1: yeah yeah they are very different and uh and then you know on the other side of the scale is like uh bombay sapphire was yeah did uh the most imaginative yep. bartender and that that was just like totally outrageous stuff so that was the totally the opposite way of doing yeah. a, co- of a competition or style of
0: yeah most imaginative is also that's probably my favorite one Um uh,
1: yeah.
0: i won it many 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 years ago uh i did nationals at least and when it was the GQ one, but how it created more than the most imaginative. It was still the same thing. Back when it was GQ originally, it was just most imaginative, except we had to dress up really, really nice. <laughs>
1: that's all. Yeah, these. Yeah, that's a big part of it too, how you look.
0: Yeah, and every competition is different too. Like a world class is a lot more relaxed. You know, you wore what you want, where you wanted to. You know, but there was a different style of competition. You know, um, I don't know. It's kind of funny. They're all different, but they're all uh, they're all uh, good fun.
1: Oh yeah for sure for sure I went I went just as I didn't enter the Bombay one but I I went as a spectator to uh to the local I guess it was the regional finals. And uh, it was kind of funny. It was, it was at um, Pier A, if you know it, in Manhattan. And uh, anyway, just as we're riding up in the elevator with a few people, and, and uh, just as the elevator doors uh, opened, I cracked a joke and everybody laughed. And then somebody comes over and goes, Shh, there's a competition going on. Uh,
0: yeah. like, Oops. <laughs> that's how you make an entrance.
1: <laughs> but I mean, that's a, that style of uh, competition. Like there's a 100 people watching you, and everybody's quiet and watching every single move that you make and there's a camera on you and microphone boom operator i was like wow this is some pressure right here
0: yeah i've been there it's it's no joke i mean i used to get so nervous as you get you know i did it for so long i got way more comfortable and i picked up a lot of these tricks from friends of mine like a good buddy of mine i learned a lot from him but uh once you have that down it's makes everything so much easier every competition then you just plug and play you know especially the smaller ones you pick a brand mm-hmm. come with a good drink and then you come with your story and you have your smooth you know those are the ones to start there's all kinds of great prizes too like uh-huh. uh, there was just a competition last week here for uh, tram brewing and they got a trip to scotland Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of these trips being won.
1: Yeah, I was in a Glenfiddich competition just recently, and I was top 10 in the United States, and they were going to choose three of the 10 to go to Scotland. And unfortunately, I didn't, didn't win that one, but <laughs> made it to the Still, top 10, so that was cool.
0: That's a good showing in general, and uh, you know, it goes to show you, you, know, you were right there. You almost just got a trip to Scotland. It's awesome. I mean, that's one of my favorite things. These prizes—they've upped their game a lot. You know, I remember when I first started, you get like, a, you win like two hundred dollars or something.
1: Yeah. The Trucker's hat. <laughs> yeah,
0: they've come a long way. That was many years ago, but
1: you get a t-shirt and a t-shirt and a bottle opener, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, thanks a lot, man. It's really great. Like, wow. Well, worked really hard on yeah, that.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I probably put forty hours of my life into this thing or more. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Forty hours and like two hundred dollars that I didn't have at the time. And,
1: yeah, but. Uh, It's funny how things change. Yeah. Well, speaking of brand ambassadors, let's talk uh, about Afrohead rum.
0: Yeah. That was, uh, I mean, it was a really cool thing. I had done work for many brands in the past, say for the past, you know, 10 years, but I had never been a true brand ambassador because I hadn't found the right fit, really. Uh, Most of the companies were too big and either wanted too much of me at the time or a myriad of different reasons. Right. So. I was looking for, like, the perfect fit a few years ago, and it turns out Alfred was looking for somebody at that same time. So we ended up meeting. They wanted somebody from Miami, and so they, you know, asked a bunch of people around town for candidates, and I guess they picked, I don't know, say a 10 or whatever, and narrowed it down and ended up meeting with half of us and, you know, having callbacks and whatever. Um, and then it ended up working out pretty mutually happy, I think.
1: Awesome. Well, it's, uh, it's good stuff. You wanted to tell us a bit about how it's made and uh, even... Uh, yeah, for
0: sure. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny. They, um, when I first got my final interview to meet everybody and was taste, got to taste the spirit for the first time, they tell this story that, it was, first of all, the meeting was like 8 in the morning. Hmm. And for me, I'm, my bars open very late. It's tough for me to get up at 8 in the morning for anything. Yeah, And so I go over to this hotel and I mean, I, at the time, I didn't know exactly who these people were, but it turns out they were the owners And Toby Tyler, who has who made the brand, and he's the master blender. So they go through the talking, and they said I was just sitting back in my seat, like chilling, looked like it was 8 in the morning. Hmm. And then I tried the rum, and they said I sat up, and I kind of smiled, hmm. and I think in their mind, that's kind of when it clicked that that's who they wanted to hire. And for me, I was like, "Oh, this is good juice! I would like to drink this for the next few years, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's pretty funny that that's how they they view it, and I don't you know I remember it a little differently, but I remember <laughs> tasting the rum and being like, "Wow this is really this is really great juice um something I could stand behind, getting off on the ground floor and the cool thing about that rum, too is um it's made in Trinidad, but Toby Tyler had the terrible job of for 10 years of roaming around the Caribbean and trying all these rums. He fell in love with rum, and he got to travel and taste rums from every island, and he decided to make his own rum. For the next 10 years, he ended up making his own rum, but he never made a company out of it. So I think it's kind of cool that it's one of the few brands I've ever encountered that he started making the rum for the love of rum because he wanted to make a rum in this dry style, this Trinidadian style rum and he made it for like 10 years and he would hand bottle it and hand sell it in Harbor Island in the Bahamas. Um, he was a partner in a place called The Landing and for like 10 years so he did that and just kind of hand bottled hand soles. and people just liked the rum and it wasn't until just, you know, a couple years ago that they decided to make a company out of it, bring it to the United States, and, you know, get a distributor and really try and push it. So I think it's kind of neat to find something of any category, but somebody that made it for the love first and not just for a business.
1: Yeah, wow, that is a cool story. And, uh, but you mentioned um, Trinidadian-style rum. There's... A lot of different styles of rum, aren't there? Can we, can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah,
0: so there's, you know, the Caribbean is very well known for having everyone's conquered by a different person. So you know, the English or the Spaniards or the French, and there's a melting pot of people all through the Caribbean. So the cool thing about it for rum is that everybody has their own style of rum from every island. Uh, they're all very different. The French have their agricoles, which are very, uh, tastes like the vegetal and um, intense, and they're a little overproofed. And then you have, like, Jamaican rums, which are sweeter. So, Trinidadian rums, the yeast strain there, which we use, um to a drier-style rum. So, there are others in that category of Anaclub kind of fa- find, falls in that category. Diplomatico, the like, Exclusiva falls in that category. Um, and totally wanted it to have, you know, inherent sweetness as the rums do, but to have a not cloyingly sweet on the palate, not add any added sugar, so he wanted a drier-style rum, which actually lends perfectly to my my palate. I like a little bit less sweet rum. Mm-hmm. And it works out great for mixing. And Plus, we have the two. We have the 7-year which and the XO. The, we have the Bryland and the XO, so we have two different expressions where the XO is much drier than, say, the Bryland is.
1: Right. Well, you mentioned uh, agricole, which is uh, made from... Let's talk about how rum is made, because uh, it wasn't so long ago, I didn't know this myself, about uh, different styles of rum, uh, making rum. So yeah,
0: the majority of all rums are made that we see here in the United States are made from molasses, which is a byproduct of sugar. Right. And when rums were brought to the Caribbean, you know, 400 years ago or so, um, it was actually a huge thing for... The United States, it was pretty much funded the United States for 150 years until the Sugar Act. Mm -hmm. And there was more rum distilleries in, say, Boston and Rhode Island and New York than anywhere else, even throughout the Caribbean. So that's a little-known fact. But everybody was making their rums a little bit different. So the French made it the most different of all. They made it from Garoppolo, which is a 1st press sugar cane juice. Mm -hmm. So they're literally taking that cane juice... And fermenting it, and then um, creating a rum, which lends to a very vegetal style rum. Um, very good, but it's very different. And they were rarely aged until recently. Right. Now, where most of the other rums that Afro had included uh, are using uh, molasses. And now, when we're talking about molasses, we're not talking about like the delicious molasses you can throw on your pancakes in the morning. It's a very like bitter, sticky, sugary, um, kind of an inedible product.
1: And th- and that's the um, and that's the uh, byproducts of making of su- uh, of making granulated sugar, right? That's little, kind of the lefto- leftovers.
0: So what you had is you had this. You know, sugar became such a big uh, commerce. They were using sugar. Basically, you know, rum has a kind of a tumultuous history. It's basically sugar, um, rum, and tr- and slave trade, which ran the Caribbean and the United States for you know 150 years there. And it was, that was the, that was the source of, that was the main commerce that we had. And it was a triangle basically from Africa to the United States, all throughout the Caribbean and into South America. And that stuck around for a bit, but the sugar and the rum uh, played a huge part in that time for everybody.
1: Right, right. So, now the, also for,
0: mm-hmm. so when we were making our rum, uh, sorry to interrupt, uh, but we make ours from the molasses, which is very, extremely common. But what makes ours a little bit different is the aging system, I think. Mm-hmm. So most rums are Solera aged which is very common, which is basically a, if you think of a pyramid, and they add new rum in every single year. So what happens is you have a huge angel share with rums, mm-hmm. tw- twice as much as, say, scotch, because you are you have so much humidity and temperature fluctuation. Right. So you lose a lot more rum. So it's common to add very new rum in every year to kind of liven up the rum. And also, so you didn't have as much angel share, so much loss. Ah, okay. So we don't age like that. Ours is all single barrel hand blended. So basically when we say our rum is, so the Bryland is a blend of seven year up to the mid-teens, that means we're taking a barrel of seven year, a barrel of eight, a barrel of nine, a barrel all the way up into the teens. And then he's uh, hand blending them to a specific flavor profile, which is extremely different than the Solera method. Right,
1: right. It's and and I see the barrels than the other. Yeah, what yeah. And I see the barrels are uh, they're ex bourbon barrels, but they're only used once.
0: Yep, they're one filled bourbon barrels, so they have a lot of uh, still have those characteristics of the bourbon and the spice notes, um, and then they'll get a little toast, and we fill them up with rum. Nice. Those so that brings out a lot of the vanillas, and uh, those are all all those uh, chemical compounds are hidden in the barrels and it takes a uh, spirit to bring them out and it turns them into all those flavors that we love about good rums and bourbons as well.
1: Sure. But yeah, so, some uh, spirit makers will use those barrels, you know, more than once and, and I guess you lose some of the, uh, the wood characteristics the, the more it's used. Yeah,
0: correct. So basically, you know, just like anything, you'll lose some of those chemical compounds that are found in the wood. There are still them um, in the wood, but you just don't, they're not as lively and there's not as many after the first run. And some people like that for they'll, they'll choose something that for they want a little less impact, but mm-hmm. we really want to get that, um, all those beautiful spice notes out of the barrel.
1: Well, I'm, I'm uh, sampling a little of the seven-year right now. It's delicious.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. So I get, like, when I taste the seven-year, you get, like, a little bit of that rum sweetness that you want, and then I get ripe Caribbean fruits. I get bananas and a little bit of mango. Um, when I do the XO, I get, get way more into like dried fruits. I get uh, dried apricots. Get that banana chip. Lots of nuts, um, cashew. Um, right. The cool thing about both of them is they really have a nice long finish, and you can taste those spice notes in the back end, uh, especially on the XO, but also in the Seven Year of the Bradland.
1: Right, right. And they're uh, they're both eighty proof, yeah.
0: Well, actually, the uh, XL is slightly overproofed.
1: It's 86. Oh, I see, yeah. Mm-hmm. I got some of that here, too.
0: But when you try it, it's extremely smooth. To me, it's kind of like that. Uh, if you like cognacs or Armagnacs or whiskies, you're going to love this style rum. It's nice and dry. I would. I like to drink it just neat, but it's great on the rock.
1: Yeah, well, I, I find a, a really well-made rum like this is, it's like a, cocktail in a bottle you know it's got it's got a little sweetness it's got a lot of a lot of different characteristics to it and uh sipping good rum is awesome love it
0: i agree with you a million percent um whether it's just for drinking for so long i really enjoy most of my spirits in each uh, i enjoy them every way but i enjoy them most and especially like at home or if i have my choice because i agree with you you can find especially in a great spirit that sweetness and that Uh, bitter notes or the herbal notes Mm -hmm. anything that you want to find in a cocktail you can just find it straight itself
1: yeah so rum you know years ago there used to be light rum and dark rum and overproof rum and that was about it those were kind of the categories people knew but now there's just so many different uh, ways and sometimes they're classified by you know if they're made in a column still or pot still uh, where they're made what they're made from and uh, even the yeast you mentioned makes a huge difference in how it's made right
0: yeah all those things come into play and that goes back to you know the cool thing about rum is there is no right or wrong way to make rum. That's why there's no DOC, there's no policing of rum. Um, they can pretty much do and say whatever they want. Right. We like to you know take a little more traditional approach, and you know when we say these are our ages, that's what they are. But there's also these were such so socially acceptable in general, like they're not a wrong way. So it's very common to add caramel coloring. <laughs> or added sugars after. And that's a different style of rum. It is not a wrong rum. And, you know, you have your original white rums, but now you've seen them... uh, The white rums itself have evolved quite a lot as well. And And the overproof rums, I mean, you still have a great category of overproofs, but now you have a lot of overproofs that are aged. There's a lot of different rum categories. I mean... We just had never been exposed to them all, I think, and now we're getting the opportunity to have all these different style of rums come out and aged agricoles, and which I find really delicious. Mm. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of a cool time for rum, and I think it's because of the whisk you know, the whiskey boom in the United States has really stemmed people looking for other cool spirits, and rum is, I feel like, one of those next categories because it's so different, so broad, and so versatile.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think it started. Um, well, there, every you know, there was always a big interest in wine, but then when craft beer started making its uh, out, you know, started coming out, that's when uh, that kind of fueled the whiskey thing, and then that that led, leads to interest in other spirits as well.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think it's a cool time in the United States, um, not just for you know, for me it's owning a bar, but also as a brand ambassador, and just for drinking spirits. And there's so many cool things coming out, and uh, at least people are trying, and it's you know, it's kind of like food. Food Network and everything that happened in the past 15 years, that's happening in the cocktail scene, and people really are appreciating what they drink at home and what they buy and what they bring to parties and, you know, what they give as gifts, and I think it's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, it sure is, you know, and uh, I mean, I've, I've been bartending a long time, and, you know, 10, 10 15 years ago, you, went, you might work an event, and maybe you'd make one old-fashioned for, a, you know, an old guy. But now, you know, I mean, the the last event I worked, uh, we, we must have made 250 old-fashions.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's that cocktail alone, and I love that drink for five million reasons, one of them being it's delicious. Two, it's easy, so easy to make. Yeah. You know. It doesn't yeah, know. take a lot of your time. Uh, I mean, these are just, there's some classics that, you know, never should have died ever, and those are, for me on either end, whether I'm making it or drinking it, I love making them and drinking them.
1: Yeah, and you know what? A rum old-fashioned's pretty good, too.
0: Oh, man, you the Afrohead XO with, uh, makes a mean old-fashioned. Yeah. That's what I love about Afrohead, too. You know, with the Brylin, you have um, you make some great daiquiris and mojitos and any of these shaken fresh, if you put some, you know, fresh lime juice and fresh fruit, you're gonna come up with something really nice. With uh, XO, makes Great Manhattan's and anything blended those stirred classic style cocktails, old fashions and Manhattans, and I, those are which was more my style flavor profile. Um, that's what I love using the XO for, and It's makes a really mean stirred cocktail.
1: Yeah, great. Well, we do a uh, cocktail of the week on the show every week. Is there uh, an Afrohead uh, cocktail recipe you might want to share with us?
0: Well, I've been making um, a, t- a toasted almond old fashions with Afrohead XO. Mm-hmm. Which is basically just a toasted or homemade orzat with almond bitters and two ounces of the XO. <laughs> Stir it up and then shame with some spiced almonds and that thing's been a real hit.
1: Oh nice. Or the uh it's not that easy to make.
0: <laughs> uh, that's true, but you could if if you don't want to make an Orzat, you could just make an almond syrup. You know, okay. it's basically a simple syrup with almonds and you still get a you know, you still get a nice uh, almond flavor or is that is a lot more time consuming that's for sure
1: yeah so you're just making simple but the syrup end and results putting...
0: are amazing. i tell yeah. you what one of my favorite things favorite ways to drink the xo is just freeze coconut water into an ice ball or an ice block or whatever you got at home and sit that thing right over one big cube of coconut water and as it slowly melts it adds the coconut water adds a little bit of sweetness to the xo uh that's that's a real nice way to drink it at home and easy, anybody can make.
1: Yeah, I saw that on your cocktail menu. That's cool. What's it, how about this, uh, let's see, FroCo, I see, is uh, three-quarters ounce lemon juice, two pure cane brown sugar cubes, one and a half ounce of the seven-year Afrohead, and uh, some coconut water. Shake and strain all ingredients over fresh ice into a Collins glass. That sounds good. Garnish with toasted coconut.
0: Yeah, that was a cool, uh, that was one of our actually signature cocktails and one of the first cocktails ever created for the company. And the reason I made it was so that we would give away these gift bags that would have like two lemons, two demeraro sugar cubes. Um, You would have your little Vita cocoa bottle, who we had partnered up with, and your little Afrohead Brylin bottle, and a little bag of toasted coconut. So you could go home and put all these ingredients together quite easily and make this cocktail that I had, you know, at the parties and these press events that I was giving out, and I made them, but they could go take it home and make that exact same cocktail at home. And it's just a really light, refreshing, delicious way to enjoy the seven years of the
1: Bryland. That's cool. That uh, You know what? That's a great way to educate consumers, too, is like, here's all the stuff you need to make this great cocktail. You you tasted it here. Now go try to make it yourself. I like
0: that. Yeah, and that was the whole premise. I thought it was a cool um, part of the afro team came up with that idea. I obviously came up with uh, the you know, the recipe to fit the mold, but I thought it was really cool that we would uh, have a couple cocktails that they would try at these events, and then they would get a little gift bag, and they would have all the ingredients they needed to make that cocktail with it it so it's a cool little cool little way to get the name out
1: <laughs> Awesome so uh, and the Afrohead name where does that come from?
0: It kind of named itself to be honest So at the time when Toby Tyler was uh, blending and hand bottling and, uh, and and kind of hand selling over the bar there at the landing uh, it didn't have a name but it did have a silhouette of a strong Bohemian lady So over the course of the first few years when people were calling for it, uh, they were like, oh, yo, give me some of that Afrohead. <laughs> and so at the very beginning, it had no name on the bottle. It was just a silhouette. Uh, the people kind of around the island, small islands, had gotten to call it a certain thing. And the name Afrohead kind of, you know, started to stick. So at that time, they didn't even put it on the uh, bottle yet. They, they started putting it on the menu so people could actually see it in print. And then a little more time, they're like, you know, uh, it's kind of named itself at this point. They put it on the bottle. And all of this happened before the inception of the company in general. So it was kind of uh, another cool part of them making this rum. First, they made the rum, like, didn't really have a name. You know, Mm -hmm. they just wanted a good rum. Mm -hmm. And then it named itself. And it took all of that over the course of quite a few years before they ever made a company um, out of Afrohead. And then as we brought the bottle to the United States, the new marketing team, you know, revamped it, but they kept all the cool things that day one about this West Indies bohemian rum um, in the label so there's like a sun and seashells and just a lot of uh, a mind's eye a lot of interesting things about the brand that are still encapsulated in the logo
1: <laughs> very cool well I've, I've moved on to the XO here and it's uh that's delicious as well
0: yeah that is uh I'm not gonna lie my go-to uh I have a <laughs> I have a bottle in the back seat of my car all the time <laughs> a bottle of the far I never go anywhere with that one
1: nice Well, I'll let you go. I'm sure it's almost time to open your bar, probably, so uh, I won't take up any more of your time. Really enjoyed speaking with you, Isaac.
0: Yeah, it was great, man. uh, Anytime you need, and uh, any other questions, I'd be happy to answer, especially about Afro.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Great product. Hopefully I'll get down to Miami one of these days. I was hoping yeah, to make. Yeah, I'd
0: love to host you over before, man. Come by the bar and make some good cocktails.
1: Uh, I'd love to. I was hoping to make it down for Bar Institute, but I didn't make it.
0: Oh, uh, they're doing another one too, though. In, in New York,
1: uh, yeah, it's coming up in New York soon, so I'll, I'll
0: be uh, there. Oh, maybe it is in New York. Yeah, I get a bunch of New York emails too. I have a I have a beverage program out there, and a lot of friends out there. So.
1: Right. Oh, really? Where?
0: Um, I do. There's a the Sanctuary Hotel in Midtown. Which one? The Sanctuary Hotel. In oh, cool! Midtown. Nice. Yeah, so I've been doing theirs. I haven't. I didn't do this seasons, but I've been doing theirs for the past few years. Uh, and I. I don't know where you live. In where do you live in New York?
1: I'm in. I'm just about 40 miles north of uh, the George Washington Bridge, so the Lower oh, Hudson Valley. Okay. But
0: yeah, I'm, like I'm that, in the city um, all the time. I have a lot of friends. where's
1: that? Sorry. I, I said I'm in the city all the time. So. You're
0: awesome. Yeah, I have I have a lot of friends. In, like I hang out on the lower lower side mostly, but. Um, I love the Wayland and Good Night, sunny and Yeah, it's I love great. New York. All right, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, thanks again, man. And, uh, yeah, I hope to run into you one of these days.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. Send me an email or whatever. A text, and I'll send you my email. next uh, like, time in New York or vice versa.
1: We can wake up. Awesome, man. Cheers. All right. Have a good one, buddy. Well, that was a lot of fun. Hey, stand by for our toast. We do a toast every week at the very end of the show. Uh, but first, I'll remind you, my name is Brian Vincent Weber, and... Uh, I appreciate you listening. Feel free to reach out to me for any reason at all. I love hearing from you guys. Uh, Brendan from the UK just reached out a couple of days ago and told me how he was in the military and had been has been bartending for only nine months, but had a lot of success in the co- in cocktail competitions. So that was really cool, and uh, he, he had a question or two for me, and that's that's great. I love hearing from you guys, and I love hearing stories like that. So uh, the, I think the best way to get in touch with me is at bartanjourney.net/slash. Contact. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at barkeeptips. On Instagram, I'm bartenderjourney. And uh, you can go to Facebook and search for Bartender Journey, and you, you can like that page, you'll like it. All right, here's our toast. Let's drink for the trees, which all our caskets will be made. May they grow extremely tall. Cheers, we'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. In the dull
0: and commonplace occurrences of day-to-day living... One thing stands out as a completely unique experience, malt liquor.